um, talking about it before, but usually I post something uh, before that. Like, I had a Naruto thing for the last week, and I've just been lazy, not recording it, or not editing it. Yeah. Um, I do do it when we're when we're gone for longer than a week, I think. Maybe I don't. I don't know. I think it's because we're dead. It's fine. Oh, it's not fine. It's not <laughs> fine if our listeners assume we're dead. <laughs> Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Manga in Your Your Ears. My name is Helen, and Corey and April are with me as usual. Hi, everybody. Hello. Uh, I will make no apologies for the fact that this is delayed a week because Helen had Katsukan, and Helen needed to Katsu Crunch. Uh, Con crunching is not recommended, however, uh, undiagnosed ADHD. (laughs) It makes things hard to plan. Anyway, so this time around, for our completed series, we're going to be talking about the one-shot by Uta Isaki, Is Love the Answer? And then for our ongoing series, we are going to do the uh, fan pipe dream of... We never thought this would actually get licensed um, in the U.S. Uh, let's see, I think I'm going to pronounce this right. Yokohama Kaidashi Kiko, uh, which was picked up by Seven Seas and, wow, one of the white whales manga. So, starting off first with Is Love the Answer? Uh, I will say that um, when I got my review copy for this, Justin, my editor over at the OASG, was asking me to uh, expedite this review for no particular reason. And since I was looking just at the thumbnail of it, uh, I did not realize that the cover says, From the creator of Mine-kun is Asexual, or the prominent Ace Pride flag on there. So when I just saw the title, Is Love the Answer? My first thought was, no, of course it's not. Next question. But uh, that is, in fact, the question. Um, our protagonist is uh, Chiaki, who, no, Chika, that's how you'd say it, Chika. And uh, she's gone uh, through high school, kind of not getting romance. Like she tries to date once or twice, but it never works out. She's just not interested in advancing it beyond, like, really a friendship, even when the guys are like, didn't you, you know, expect that we were going to have sex since you came over to my place? Or, you know, oh, I can wait until you feel comfortable. And so she's gotten to college. She's still just feeling very confused about herself. And she goes to the particular particular college she does because there was a psychology professor there who she really admired and wanted to take classes from. And it is from a chance encounter with this professor that she starts learning about asexuality and how that this is, well... It's a thing that exists, and it is possibly a label she would use to describe herself. And so it's very much not a coming out story, but a, an early baby is exploring their orientation story. And I'm sure that all three of us have seen quite a few stories along those lines. Like, um, media loves an origin story, which includes the, you know, coming out first explorations genre. But this one did a lot of things that I like that I haven't seen in other series. Like, for one thing, uh, Chika is not, like, the lone queer character in the series. There are quite a few other aces in there. 
Uh, she ends up falling in with a group of friends, which includes um, a couple other folks who are queer and some others who might not be queer, but are very definitely good, solid ally friends. And I just ended up really enjoying the series. I had read um, Isaki's short story, Is Mine-kun, ex- um, Mine-kun is Asexual. Uh, I'd read it before, since that one is actually picked up by, I think it's Iridori Sakura, along with a couple of their other shorts, like uh, Mermaid in the Bottle, which I didn't like, it's about incest, and Leaper, which I did like, which had kind of like a space imagery theme going to it that I saw reflected in Is Love the Answer at points. So I was pretty thrilled to realize that this was a creator doing a full-length story, which was exactly what I'd wanted from them before. And I feel like this is a really good story to hand to people who are young and questioning asexuality. Uh, I feel like it's a it's both a good story and also just a good resource to have on hand to hand out to people. What about you guys? If you guys say you didn't like it, I may just cry. <laughs> no, I loved it. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I think I said tweeted five-star manga when I was speaking about it. Um, I'm not always on Twitter, you know, just most of the time. I'm just telling you now because I know that you're not always on Twitter. It's crazy. <laughs> um, there is a content warning on the front of this uh, manga on the first, second page, technically, because the first page is a color spread um, of sexual violence, as Helen said. Um, the boy just expects sex, and uh, expected things from that sentence come from that. Uh, and they're in high school during this time. Um, that was like, the, I mean, that was a bad thing that happened, but I don't think that was a bad storytelling thing that happened necessarily. Uh, yeah, it didn't feel like a gratuitous, you know, sexual assault scene. It, it felt like it was you know, a necessary part of Chica's story of, you know, she's tried romantic relationships and has realized that, no, they just don't seem to work for her. There seems to be expectations in there that are just not what she wants. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like one of the things that I really liked about this is that you really get two people that are in a relationship on the same page with each other where they're like surprised talking to each other and being like here are my boundaries please do not cross them unless i tell you it is okay to cross them uh it's like a such a uh such a revelatory thing to say um but yeah i really like this and i think like one of the things that i really liked about this uh as compared to something that something else that we've read like my brother's husband is that when it was talking about asexuality and um chica is learning about it it didn't feel overly preachy like characters were explaining and talking down to us as the reader while it was happening like she was reading stuff online which really helped and she was just seems like a voracious reader generally which also helped in the explanation part of it but uh it kind of weaved that information into the story very seamlessly and i like that a lot yeah it definitely didn't feel like the creator has just discovered something new and interesting and is going to is going to simply regurgitate a 12 that are readers right april what do you think yeah i liked it i think you all were talking about that scene in the beginning but i think it even it it starts off kind of interesting is that she's in that original she starts to like date in high school and there there are a couple uh scenes where there's that scene in the beginning where the boy is like hey don't take longer than an hour to respond to me and i think i think i think she asked him why and he's like, we'll talk. We'll talk to everybody else. That's what everybody else does. And that happens. A co- he says a couple things to her. We're like, we'll talk to everybody else. That's whatever. That's just what you like. I thought it brought up 
I thought it brought up interesting things about like heterosexuality and then what is expected in a relationship that doesn't get taught. Um, and then I thought like her journey to figuring herself out was just relatable. I think a, a lot of us that came up with the internet, that's kind of how we figured out what label fit or kind of how we found other people like us. I thought that was interesting that she was on the internet a lot. But then I also think her college experience uh, mirrored a lot of coming out experiences, not necessarily just in college, but when you first kind of meet other people like you and you all are trying to figure out who you are and bouncing off of each other. Like, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? I feel like even though it felt like maybe they were talking about like heavier topics, that that was like very common. Like when you were first trying to come I'm out or figure out who you are. So I, 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 even though I don't identify with the label itself, I found um, relatable and I appreciated that she overthought everything. Like I, I know that made it more difficult for her, but I think that's also a common thing too. You kind of latch on to a label or an, or an identity and then sometimes inadvertently try to mold yourself into it. And then you find out that you don't kind of fit it. Well, which one do I go to? And then I think for some people at some point, um, they just kind of do what works for them. But yeah, I found it like pretty relatable. And like you all said, it, it didn't feel like an author that suddenly got interested in it. And now they want to put um, a manga out about it. Not that that's necessarily a bad thing, but that's not what I got from this one. Yeah, um, the author's done a, a short story before called um, Mine Kun is Asexual. So between this and that, I feel like it's been a bit of a process of them exploring their own identity. And in the back of the book, there's a little write-ups on some of the characters, including uh, Chika. And it says, um, like, she doesn't really quite fit in the idea of, you know, a typical asexual. I thought that since she didn't fit in other kinds of norms, that she wouldn't fit in there either. And I was thinking, you know, she feels very much like a like people I've known. And I really hope that this isn't the author just sort of, like, projecting their own feelings. Since they also say in the authors know that they're not sure if they're ace or not. And I'm just reading all of this being like, from what I know of you, you definitely feel like someone under the ace umbrella. Like, wholesale. I have no questions about this in my heart. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, on a lot of the ways that she's trying to explore, you know, just what label fits me? How do I want to describe myself? What can make me just sort of understand the world better? Definitely felt relatable. Um, like a former roommate of mine, he found out about asexuality just by Googling it and having the Wikipedia page come up, uh, slightly earlier time, <laughs> which is why that was the best resource for him. Um, I know for me, when, by the time I got to college, I was definitely questioning if I was straight or not, since nothing had happened by that point, and I was starting to feel like something should be. I definitely had to have a friend say, look, I think you're asexual. And when I was in college, I actually did not know any other aces. I'm kind of jealous that our character here does. She's got like a whole rooming house of them. Uh, but a couple of years after college, some of my friends who I'd been friends with at the time then started identifying as ace. <sighs> I feel like this is one of the identities that sometimes takes longer to figure out. You know, I feel like if you want to kiss a girl or you want to kiss a guy, that just makes it a little quicker to figure out. Instead of the, do I not want to kiss them because I don't like girls or because I don't like them? <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah yeah and that's uh one of the bigger things about this manga is like it lets chica kind of explore these things for herself and just like you i mean there is a lot of societal pressures that she feels both from general society but also her friend group in high school that's like you need to date someone you need to date a boy um specifically to to be normal and like that's a recurring theme throughout this manga is like what does it mean to be normal is there a normal and it's just like i uh 
try to consciously, especially in contexts like sexuality, uh, remove the word normal from my vocabulary because like there is no, there doesn't need to be a normal. There is no normal. Um, and it's just realizing that like you don't have to do those sort of things. You can just be yourself. And if you, uh, if Helen, you see her as asexual, uh, 100%, and she sees her as, she sees herself as asexual, like, I don't know, 73%. That's fine. You can just live like that. Clear, I think the author is ex-gender. Um, I think Chica might also be leaning kind of ex-gender by the end of the series. Yeah. Seems a little bit like there's some gender questioning going on as well. Um, yeah. For which I will say, uh, if you are questioning your gender or your sexuality, just know that if you are cis and straight, you do not actually think about this that much. You know, <laughs> when I was questioning <laughs> when I was questioning my sexuality, you know, like I had trans friends in college, so so at one point or another, I thought, hmm, girl, yeah, girl seems to fit. Okay, moving on. You know, like <laughs> that is something I've tried to explain to baby queers. It's like if you're questioning this, there's probably a reason you're questioning it. So go explore it. <laughs> That's why I preed her over. For me, that felt that felt very real. <laughs> so I appreciated that. Oh God, yeah. Like when I was trying to figure out what I was, I literally thought about it every day for two and a half years. Like, <laughs> I don't know if that counts as overthinking or not, but it was kind of like I want an answer, and I cannot figure out the answer. I think it does, Helen. I think it does. Well, it wasn't like it was the only thing I was thinking about for two and a half years. You know, it was just one thing I was thinking about. Yeah. No, it's okay to think about it for that long. I think it's uh, identity is a thing that's ongoing. It happens, well, theoretically forever. Uh, and even if you're comfortable with something for many, many years, it's okay to just identify as something else. Mm-hmm. Yep, sometimes you change, and that is just, that's just how people are, you know? Yep. Or sometimes you think you're one thing and you find a better word. Or sometimes you're just trying to figure out yourself, like, I have known some people in life who have said, oh, I'm asexual, and I've looked and I've been like, you really like drawing horny things, though. I'm not entirely sure. And then later it turns out, oh, yeah, they were kind of suppressing, like, gender feelings and actually are identifying as, like, non-cis and also non-ace anymore. And it's like, ah, it's like, okay, yeah, that's kind of what I expected. Yeah. I would never say this to anyone, you know, if they are, like, confident, like, oh, I do feel asexual, I will just think it to myself, be like, hmm, let's check on this in a couple of years. <laughs> I'm betting I'm right. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, I feel like this is both a good story and also just a nice representation of what it feels like to be questioning. And it feels like it was written by someone who has had those feelings, which is why I'm really hoping that this ends up in a lot of like public libraries and stuff like that for people to stumble across. Uh, I'm really glad to see that's getting a print release because, you know, it's a little harder for people to stumble across a digital only library title. My library doesn't even really do digital manga. So yeah, I think that's a good way to think about this. Is this a good for me, it's a good representation of questioning, like you said. Yeah, because it's not that I haven't seen in other series, but like that takes up a large chunk of this volume. And I, yeah, I think it is a good representation of that. It's, and like you said, you were saying earlier that people people that that don't follow under fall, fall under that umbrella usually don't think about it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, or yeah. even um, one of her friends is um, uh, a gay guy, and he says at one point to her and another close friend that like, look, I have been attracted to women you know a couple times before but i don't think that really describes who i am so i don't feel bad calling myself a gay guy instead of a bisexual guy like i can choose which label i want to use the one that i feel like describes me best and i think that a lot of people forget that that these are labels they're not like an indisputable fact or genome or anything they're just a word you use 
to make it more easy to communicate to people how you feel. And of course, that's going to change over time. Sometimes you won't need it, etc. They're optional. Right. Yeah, they're not like branding gay on your forehead and then you can never change from it. No, that would be a very Nazi thing. And we don't do that. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, I mean, I liked how this was different from the other LGBTQ manga that we've read. Uh, My Brother's Husband, aforementioned. Uh, but also stuff like is... Wait, we were reading I Love the Answer. What's the one? The the trans one where they're in a cafe? Oh, uh, Dreams at Dawn? No, but that's another good one that we read. Anyway, that that's one... That's another one where you can tell it's like, ah, yes, the author yeah. has felt these feels. Uh, yeah. I can't remember since Yuri is my job isn't trans. That one's just Yuri. Oh, is it... Um, I can I can picture the cover like, love me for who I am. That's the one, yep. Yeah. Yeah, so like... That one, Love Me For Who I Am, Arguments Yusk, uh, Kasei-san, like, they're all, obviously, queer stories are just as varied as straight stories, and we've had hundreds of years of straight stories, uh, and not as many years of gay stories, because at some point after uh, mythology, we decided that was not okay anymore. Uh, but... Or even you'll get the people where it's like, they were a confirmed bachelor for all their years, and people are like, oh my god, this historical figure was gay. And I'm always like, are we saying they couldn't be ace over here? I feel like <laughs> assuming that they were sucking dick is a bit of a stretch in some cases. <laughs> but yeah, I I really enjoyed this one. I think um, I think at like, the perfect point to, like, I, I would obviously read several more volumes of this, just them hanging out, but then it's like slowly moving away from being an ace and a discovery story. Um, so I think it is the exact right length for for what it was trying to do. Yeah, now that I've read a couple of stories by this um, creator where they're um, like questioning identity and stuff, I'm now like, okay, I would also love to see you do like a pure sci-fi thing. So it seems like you've got kind of an interest in like space imagery and stuff going on. So I really hope that's um, something we see from them in the future. Yep. I really like oh, her. Friend. Also, one last semi-related thing. Uh, they are also yet another ace that I know who was born on Valentine's Day. <laughs> I made the mistake of tweeting something along those lines with their full name on Twitter when I was tired, and they found my tweet. And I looked on their Twitter, and they confirmed that yes, they are in fact born on Valentine's Day. So I now know like six of us aces born on Valentine's Day, and that's oh, just wow. a weird universe. <laughs> I mean, it's the ones born on Valentine's Day, not the ones conceived on Valentine's Day, is what my assumption is. <laughs> yeah, one of my friends gets a text from her mom every Valentine's Day saying, "Happy Day of Conception." <laughs> she really wishes she would stop doing that <laughs> uh, it was very good so if you know anybody with birthdays in like early to mid-october that's what nine months from valentine's day is mm. you guys are thinking of people now aren't you <laughs> uh i try not to <laughs> um oh i was saying i i do love their friends uh her friends kika's friends uh the gay guy that we mentioned is just a really fun character um but also, uh, I think her name is Enomoto, who is just like a big old Fujoshi and named anime and draws Gojenshi and stuff. Like, we've seen those types of characters before, but just the way that they layered her character in with this group dynamic, um, I just found it very fun. Also, yeah, like, um, the Fujoshi is saying, yeah, people say that, you know, my love for fictional characters is kind of like being asexual, but no, I feel like this is a different thing. Like, I can distinguish between, like, romantic feelings and, like, enjoying a story. I kind of don't like people putting me down like that, which mm. I thought was very fair. Yeah. <laughs> and once again, it is so great 
to see a series where like the queer character has queer friends because so many times it seems like it's like the one queer character in a sea of straights and it's like that is absolutely not how it works Mm -hmm. like you will unconsciously sort of gravitate towards other queer people even if none of you are aware of it at the time like this is true for like every single person i know in my life who's queer right the token queer or the token gay doesn't doesn't exist after a couple of years it turns into oh there's a token straight in our group (laughs) (laughs) yes really all of my straight friends were actually all of my gay friends (laughs) (laughs) my friends thought they were straight and then they were like actually i think i'm ace (laughs) yeah um yeah but yeah this is a this is a cool little manga i like that a lot yep definitely recommended uh, I had a digital review copy, and I'm totally going to be going out to get myself a physical copy at some point in the future. Mm-hmm. And so with that, we'll take a short break, and then we will switch gears pretty wildly. Be right <laughs> back. back with our second series of the evening it is a fan favorite it is yokohama kaidashi kiko by hitoshi ashinano um and it is put out by seven seas and this it, there's one volume out right now and it's part of a five volume set so the first omnibus contains the first um 24 chapters um it's been a while since i've been um since I've been involved in blogging, but I remember that this was like a fan favorite and we always hoped that it would get licensed and sort of, it's kind of weird, but sort of the cool part of kind of not being as connected anymore is that I get surprised when I go into the bookstore and I see this and I had no idea um, that it was going to be licensed. Um, But uh, Yokohama is about an android named Alpha that lives basically at the end of the world. She li- she runs a small cafe in a seaside town. Um, and I think the back the back cover sums it up pretty well. A quiet cup of coffee as the world winds down. So basically she lives in a small town and there's a set of reoccurring characters and they just like enjoy the world and enjoy life even though at least from what we can tell the world as we know it or the world as they know it is like slowly ending there's been some kind of um i guess some kind of catastrophe i don't know if it's sea-based or something like that but something has happened and they're sort of um some of the people that are left um it's kind of it's sort of a slice of life science fiction um uh sort of I feel a lot of like nostalgia, I guess, when I read this, at least for them. Um, they do things like watch fireworks, they gather to see a sunrise, they go down to the river. It's just a lot of like enjoying the moment. Um, I really like this one. I was looking forward to it and I'd never read it before, not even years ago. And it took me a little bit to get into it. There's a bunch of chapters in here, so it definitely takes a little bit to get going. But once everyone gets introduced, um, I really sort of got attached to the characters like I really enjoy. Um, I think I have a lot to say about it, but what do you all think? I was actually surprised at how easily I was able to get into the series and just how uh, easily it reads, too, since uh, these are omnibus volumes, so it's like three volumes in one. So at first I was thinking, oh, no, am I going to finish this in time for the podcast? But it just has a really nice flow from the get-go, I thought, of just this 
twilight of the world that Alpha is living in after, uh, I just assume general global warming had messed up the world since they're talking about sea level rise a lot. But there might have been a war as well. It's at one point when the characters are going to watch fireworks that are saying, oh yeah, this first one's gonna be really great, like a once in a lifetime thing. And it is like clearly a missile they're launching off. (laughs) Um, There's a lot of like unstated backstory going on. But that's not the point of the series. The point of the series is just vibes. And the colored pages are also really pretty. The art, um, I always thought it looked kind of simple from the cover illustrations, but the color um, illustrations inside are really gorgeous. I guess I will be the sole dissenting opinion in that. Like, I thought it was just okay. Uh, I read the whole uh, the whole first volume here, the whole first English volume. And there were 14 Japanese volumes in the original release, and then they had a second edition with 10 Japanese volumes, and we are getting two of each of those 10 in each of our releases. And yeah, I read this, um, it's like 450 page, uh, book in, I don't know, 45 minutes, an hour. You <laughs> speak through it. Uh, because yeah, as Helen says, it does kind of flow very nicely and very pleasantly. And it is on all vibes manga. Um, but like, I just didn't get into the vibes of it. Uh, the characters, were not too interesting off the get-go, and there was not much story to grasp onto. Like, with something uh, like my Giant Spider in me, is that what it's called? That one um, had a little more hints at like what was going on in the world. Uh, a little more interesting characters to, to make a comp, but um, I don't know. This one was okay. I don't know if I'll check out the second volume. I feel like I'm just nihilistic enough these days to be kind of into, like, the quiet apocalypse stories. <laughs> like, um, there's a there's a light novel series on J-Novel Club. It's called, like, Goodbye Otherworld, uh, where someone has gotten isekai'd into what is essentially a dying world. And so it's very similarly just kind of, like, quiet journeys across the world as everything is, like, literally turning to dust. And this gave me some similar feelings. I wouldn't be surprised if this series influenced a lot of ones that came after, since this is from the mid-90s at the earliest. And so I could definitely see this having an influence on maybe even some unrelated stuff. I kept wondering if Time of Eve was a little bit influenced by it, since that's another story about um, robots serving coffee. Very human robots serving coffee, that is. Yeah, I could see that. Uh, This ran from 1994 to 2006, so yeah, big 90s. A lot of 90s vibes in terms of the art, too. (laughs) <laughs> wow, they put out 15 volumes in like three years. That's a lot of drawing. Yeah. 1994 to 2006. Oh, never mind. I thought you said 90s. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, ignore that comment. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> I read, oh, well, I googled a little bit about the series before we started the podcast, and I'd read something like in a blog post that the author had said that I, whatever happened with the world, the sea stuff or whatever, wasn't because of man-made global warming i guess he pushed back on that because um people thought that's what it was about and he said it's just like a natural i don't want to say natural progression but it, it wasn't because of that like this he said like sort of naturally rose and there was like a human cycle and all that i didn't quite understand but that he had specifically said it wasn't uh man-made climate change and then one of the questions i had when i got done reading it is if it really mattered that the main character is a robot, like, could she have just been a a human girl and the story been mostly the same? I, maybe it'll come up in later volumes, but I'm like, I don't know if her being a robot makes a huge difference, I, difference, I guess, because in 
this series, the robots seem very human-like, although another robot does come into the she's like a her name is uh kone i think and they talk she talks a little bit about how she's tried very hard to seem very human-like and that when she meets alpha she feels like she can be i don't know i guess more herself or she doesn't have to be worried about being looking acting human um but i wondered whether that even really mattered that she was a robot and then there's a question in the beginning she she runs the cafe but the cafe has an owner who hasn't i guess the owner will occasionally send messages through the courier but the owner of the cafe is never there and you don't know who it is so i don't know if the series will answer any of those questions or if those questions are even important and i can I enjoyed it, but I can see where you're coming from, Cora. Where if you, I've said this before about others. It's a very, um, like, if it's a if it's a series that's very focused on characters and they're not interested to you, it doesn't work. And I think this is one of those series that if characters aren't interested to you, it doesn't work because the world is still so mysterious that you can't relate to that. At least not with the Omni. Yeah, I feel like those questions are probably going to become more important later on, like the you know what measure is a non-human sort of idea. Uh, I, I, I feel like that one's being set up as something that characters are going to keep debating as the story goes on. Since, yeah, we've seen so far that Alpha is really ridiculously human, and even Kokone um, has either felt some sort of pressure or expectation to appear rather human-like as well. And it, although it does seem like these robots are designed to be very human from the start, just in terms of, like, having personalities and stuff like that. They're able to eat. Well... Various things like Kokone can do an- animal protein, but Alpha's like, nope. Yeah, uh, I think she might just be lactose intolerant, honestly. But to meat. Uh, well, we don't see her try meat in this volume, but we do see her try milk at one point, and it definitely looks like she's got the runs. Yeah, do robots have runs? Ah, uh, she's got to get those lactic acid pills, you know, just to find out, <laughs> see if maybe that'll, that'll do the trick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I thought the uh, the robot aspect was actually one of the more fascinating ones because, like, since she's a robot, she does not age. Um, and we're not around her for that long. Like, we don't know how long her master has been gone. Like, maybe it's been 20 years, and she's been hanging out with this uncle for 20 years. Uh, and he's just aged significantly. Uh, uh, what is his name? Takahiro? That doesn't seem right. Okay, um, I'll look at my... Takahiro ma- and the grandpa are definitely two different characters, though. Yeah. Yes, Like, yes. as far as I can tell, the story's been told in a linear fashion, so far, at least. Okay. I don't think it's playing right. any funky tricks on us with no. timing. Um, but, like, maybe the Master left and Kakahiro was not even born yet. And, like, I don't know. The Master is definitely that. alive still if they're sending, like, yeah. messages and packages. Mm-hmm. Uh, kissing messages, too. I think yeah, I was. Out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at first, I was like, is this queer baiting? And then as the story goes on, I'm like, no, these robots might actually just be lesbians, too. It, it, might, it might start out as queer baiting, but I could see this genuinely turning into a Uriot by the end. Yeah. yeah, since I definitely had that thought at one point. Or even, like... The way that um, Alpha uses the camera, there's a way where she can use a cord and just sort of hold it in her mouth. And that's a way she can uh, then use the camera's eyes as her own eyes. And there's nothing sexual about it or anything. It's just kind of funny. But it's like, why do the robots have all of their like connector ports in their mouths? I mean, we have read manga with worse ideas than this, but this is still kind of strange. Why is the on button? No hesitation, knew exactly which one I was talking about. <laughs> yeah. <gasps> oh, man. Joe Pitts. Should we read more Clamp again soon? I feel like we've read most of the good stuff by this point, and everything else is out of print. Like, oh, yeah. I am down to read Tokyo Babylon, but those volumes are, like, really expensive now. Yeah, that's the point. We have to read the bad ones. Tokyo Babylon isn't one of the bad ones, as far as I know. 
Uh, yeah, I've also heard that. I really want to read it. Listen, if we want to read any of the bad ones, we need to, for some reason, decide to read all of Subasa Reservoir Chronicles. Dear Lord. <laughs> I read it all once as it was coming out, and I refuse to talk about the series unless we talk about the whole thing. If we have any friends of the show who want to come on and talk about this, please message <laughs> us on Twitter. <laughs> yep. Uh, for those listening right now, you can buy 32 volume ones of Tokyo Pop, Tokyo Babylon volume one. Wait, I said volume one already. You can buy 32 of them. $50. Yeah, but that's but that's the longer version. I was thinking of like the Dark Horse re-release. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Corey, why'd you get soft topic? Because um, you brought up Kyobix. Listen, I, I was discussing like an important factor in this series and just obliquely mentioning that while well, mouth ports are a weird place to put your robot's <laughs> cables, it's not actually the worst. <laughs> and nothing is probably ever going to surpass that worst. Yeah, that was that was definitely a little bit odd. Um, and I don't I think it happens once. I mean, she comes back with another letter and you <laughs> you don't see them do that. So I think it only <laughs> happens once in the first volume. It's kind of nice that she has like another another robot for. But yeah, I think Corey I guess it's possible that like she could have been there longer than everybody else. I hadn't thought of hadn't thought about that. Um, I don't think it's super duper long since we meet um there's an adult guy who's talking of Takahiro and he's also seen Osprey, who is this mysterious figure um who she's kind of shy so she only reveals herself to children. He saw her when he was a child. But oh, Alpha right. hasn't met him before and I got got the impression that this adult was from the same area. So I don't think he she's been that, there like yeah. Yeah, I don't think she's been there like 20, 30 years. I'm mm. thinking like maybe 10 at most, honestly. I have no reason to say 10 at most, but that's just sort of my gut feeling. And my gut feeling is often right on these things. The character right. you're talking about, that guy, what does he have? That's I feel like I just read like... I think it's literally a flying fish. <laughs> okay, it's a fish. That's what it was. Uh-huh. Yeah. The, and they uh, mentioned at one point that it flies perfectly well. It just needs like little goggles or something for the air. <laughs> oh my gosh. I haven't read a whole bunch of it, but it it kind of gave me like the Aria vibe. I don't think I don't think we've read that. Not to get no. I mean on the podcast, not on the podcast, but yeah, I've read some of it, and yeah, it it definitely has more of a direction than Aria, but it's still kind of quiet. The, the vibes are the uh the goal, the intention. You read it for the vibes, not for anything else. <laughs> I could see this coming out chapter by chapter, and you just kind of dive into it to check on the characters come back out not that it's not not that it's not readable as an omnibus but i can see just kind of like it being kind of a break in your day and you, this character's world and you pop back out so um i really enjoyed it i'm glad that i picked it up and i'm glad that it was licensed but i definitely i definitely Corey's point of view i think you you've got to like those characters i say that a lot and i think that's really that's really important is that if you don't if you don't look on to them then a lot of stories don't go so did either of you guys get this physically? Um, I got it digitally, and I'm curious what the um, physical version is like. I did. Uh, I uh, ran into it. Is it, it like a nice hardcover and everything? No, it's soft, but like the, what am I trying to say? The logo is like kind of like grading co- colored, and there's a bunch of color pages in front. It's pretty nice. Maybe it would have been nicer hardcover. I could see this one being hardcover, but it's not. Uh, but yeah. You think the binding's going to get on it? <laughs> I don't. It actually seems like it's okay enough for this. It's not like it's a huge. It's a little bit smaller than some of like the the very big omni. It's not huge, so I don't think the binding is going to break or anything like that. No, I didn't get that from this at all. I think it's actually a pretty nice book, and I just I really just happened to see it uh, one day in the bookstore because, like I said, I don't keep up as much with the blogging and Twitter community anymore, which 
for me, I think, gives me an interesting perspective when we do the podcast because I'm always shocked by everything. You all tell me stuff, and I'm like, what? I didn't know that. (laughs) So I was pleasantly surprised to see this in person. And I think that the next Omnibus is maybe due out next month. It's it's pretty soon from now. I looked before the podcast. Um, Yeah, I had the page open just now. Um, May, according to Wikipedia. Uh, That may be wrong. It's subject to change. (laughs) Yes. But yeah, if you all don't have any other final thoughts. Lucas Oaks, um, where can we find everybody on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Mangioren as long as something doesn't happen to Twitter. So <laughs> I'm still there. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, Twitter hasn't died yet, so I'm still there like, too. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but for um, however much longer we have Twitter, um, you can find me there under Wandering Dreamer. And even if Twitter dies, you can continue to find me doing reviews over at theosg.com. Yep, and you can find me on Twitter at Taikumenko, C-A-I-I-K-U-M-E-N-C-O. And uh, you can find a link tree, Twitter does die, to other places like I am on the internet, on Twitter, while Twitter still exists. Uh, you can find all of our episodes. Wait, nope, not yet. Uh, you can find our podcast on Twitter at Mongang Your Ears. And now you can find all of our episodes at taikupodcast.com. Um, that's it. Think of episode. You can buy Tokyo Babylon on eBay for $229. <laughs> you first. Talk to you later, Bye, folks. Everybody. See ya.